This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, Mark chapter one. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'm gonna invite you to turn it to Mark chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there's some paper ones um, in the back, I believe, behind Stephanie. Yes, Steph, are there paper? Bo- she, uh, she's holding the, the niñalita. Um, that's not a real word, by the way. If you're like, he's bilingual, I'm not. Um, I just make up words. Um, and so there are Bibles we'd love for you to have. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take it and give it away. Um, we have no problem uh, repurchasing Bibles if they're being given away. So uh, by all means, grab a Bible. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, and we will be in the book of Mark, uh, gosh, to be honest, for a while. Um, not totally sure how long uh, it, it'll take. Uh, we may break it up along the way with some like mini series Series? Series? Siri? Siri? Um, along the way. Uh, but, but we, our heart is to just go through um, the Bible, like just to take the scripture and let God tell us what um, the sermon should be through, through his word. And so uh, we're, we're just going to work through the book of Mark together uh, today. So um, Mark is, is thought to be the, the earliest um, written of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, it is guesstimated that it was dated in the mid to late 60s um, of AD, of when it was written. And why is that important, you ask? Well, Jesus' death um, was around 30 or 33 AD. And so that leaves about a 30 to 35 year gap between Jesus' death and resurrection and Mark putting this writing out there. Um, also with Jesus was a lot of polarization. There were a lot of people who did not care at all about Jesus or um, the, the way, the people following him, and would love nothing else than to, to kill the, 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 the spread of the message of Jesus. A lot of these people who had power to do so were still alive when Mark was putting this out there, right? And so when Mark is writing this only 30 years after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, if it's just nothing but, but hogwash, it's going to get shut down pretty quickly by the many powerful people that wanted it to be shut down. The fact that it continued, the fact that it spread, the fact that many people actually gave their lives up um, for this message gives further evidence and credibility to the writing of it. There was many opportunity for what Mark is putting out to be, to be discounted, not only within the religious circles, but just by historians and journalists of the day. And yet it wasn't. There was no, they had nothing to, to write on to discredit it. And so the fact that it was written only 30 years or so after Jesus' life and death is, is significant. It gives a lot of weight. Um, Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. Um, rather, he, he followed closely to Peter. And so he wrote down scrupulous notes of what Peter would say about the life of Jesus. That's how we get his gospel is he's listening to Peter. And he's just, he's just writing it down. Uh, And so that's what we get here in the book of Mark. That's kind of the the historical background of it as we, as we come into it. If you want to think of Mark and you're like, okay, what's a, how would I summarize the, the, the book of Mark? We could summarize it by saying the gospel of Jesus, the mighty servant, The, the gospel of Jesus, the mighty servant. And so throughout the book of Mark, you'll, you'll see that theme just played out that, it's, it's about the gospel of Jesus who is mighty and powerful and yet also humble and serves. 
And so that kind of gives you a theme of the book of Mark as we go through it, the gospel of Jesus, the mighty servant. Um, let's read verses one through, through eight. Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his, around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God given to us through his servant, Mark. Let's, let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and help us to know and understand his words. God, um, these are not just some um, words written down by a journalist or by uh, someone wanting to make a name for himself. These are your words. Uh, they are breathed out by your spirit through Mark. This is your letter written to us that we could know you and know how to live our lives following you. God, you, you write this not just so that we would know how to be good church folk, but that we would know you and have a relationship with you. So Spirit, speak to us. Let us know um, your voice. Um, just block out distractions from the enemy who, who wants to whisper lies to us that our confidence and our, our anchor would be in, in you. It's in Jesus we pray and we ask. Amen. I'm going to be real honest with you here today. Um, if you were to tell me that I can only go see one person in concert, it would be Taylor Swift. Yeah, who's going with me? Somebody. There it is. Let's go. Um, yeah, y'all are coming too. Okay. Um, I just, I, I think she's great. Um, and I think her concerts would be epic. I've never been to like a big headliner concert. And you, just show who's been to like, not like the one, like your, but like headliner concert. Show hands. The is that the majority? I got to go to a concert. I need to go see a concert. I've never been to one where it's like, you know, lasers and rockets like flying everywhere. And the artist is like trapezing into the, or, or like into the arena or something. Um, I, I think that Taylor would put on a fantastic show. Um, Here's what Taylor isn't at this point. Taylor is, is no longer someone's opener, right? Like you're not going to go see so-and-so in concert and opening for so-and-so is Taylor Swift, right? Like Taylor Swift is the headliner. She is the, the marquee, right? Like you'll find people who are opening for her. And best I understand the music industry, I'm not in the music industry, nor do I ever need to be, is that most people kind of, kind of begin their career, begin to uh, bring a following by, by being openers, right? They'll open for a Taylor Swift and that's going to get them heard by millions of people. And then they begin to build their career from there, right? As, as an opener that moves into then being a headliner. As I was reading this, I was, I was imagining what would it be like for, for Taylor Swift to revert back and become an opener again? Would she ever do that? 
I, knowing my own pride and, and my own like ego and I think the ego of humanity, it would be really tough to like arrive at the pinnacle of your career and then have to go backwards and become an opener again. Right, that would be, it's really difficult, man, in sports, right? You're starting point guard and all of a sudden someone comes in and you're like, hey, you're on the bench. That's hard, right? Much less if someone voluntarily takes that position, right? Where where they're the headliner. Imagine Taylor, she's the headliner and she voluntarily, joyfully takes the position of someone's opener. What must that say of the person, the, the artist that she's opening for, right? If a headliner is like, hey, please let me open for you. Right, like what is that? That's like a once in a generational artist, right? For someone who, who's of that caliber to voluntarily and joyfully take the back seat and just kind of be the opener for them, right? Are y'all, the masks are killing me. Is that tracking along a little bit? You're gonna have to give me like extra head nods, something, just let me know like we're on the same page. I would find that really difficult. And yet that's how the, the gospel of Mark starts where Mark writes about the headliner of the day, John the Baptist, voluntarily taking the back seat and playing the role of opener to now Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is the Taylor Swift of the day, right? Like like he's reached the pinnacle and now he's voluntarily saying, please let me open, let me open for this guy. Let, Let me lead the way and pave the way for this guy. What must it say What must it say of an artist if Taylor Swift wants to open for them? What must it say of Jesus if John the Baptist wants to open for him, wants to lead the way for Jesus to come onto the scene? It, It must say a good deal about who this Jesus is. There's something impressive. There's something remarkable. There's something worth us leaning into and saying, I, I want to know this, this guy that John is wanting to, to open for and lead the way for. In verse one, we see the, the overall purpose of, of Mark's writing. We, we see like if there's to be a summary page of the gospel of Mark, it's verse one. We see what it's about. We see who it's about, right? And, and, and Mark says in the first, the first lines, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this writing from chapter one through chapter 16 is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, His purpose is communicating the gospel. It's letting people know the the gospel of of Jesus. So what is the gospel of Jesus? The word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. It's not a strictly Christian word. It, It simply means a message of good news. The word gospel is a message of, it's something that someone would tell that would bring joy and delight to the hearer, that would cause them to smile. That is how the word was, was used. It was often used when announcing victory in battle. Somebody would come and proclaim the gospel, the good news that they had won in battle, in battle that their, their family members were coming home, that they, were no, they weren't going to be you know, held as slaves. Like there was victory and it would bring joy to people when they would hear the gospel of victory in the battle that had been fought. In 9 B.C., Caesar Augustus was born, historical figure, and it was reported around the region, the beginning of good news for the world. Go backwards and translate that, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. 
the same word was used, euangelion, to speak of Caesar Augustus, as we see Mark use here in chapter one. The beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Mark's point is to communicate a message to his hearers of good news about Jesus. That is his purpose from Mark 1.1 to the end of chapter 16, is to communicate to his hearers a message of good news about Jesus, a message that should cause joy and delight, a smile on our face. So as readers, as, as preaching the, the book of Mark, like we should see this and there, we should see the gospel, the good, like there should be joy in our hearts about Jesus as we read through this book. That's his purpose. That's his aim is to communicate the gospel. Now we see who he's talking about. He's not talking about the gospel of Caesar Augustus. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus. So who is Jesus? Jesus was not a unique name, um, but it was a specific name that Mary had no choice in naming her son. See, when when Mary was engaged to Joseph, you read about this in Matthew, um, she was a virgin and the angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, Mary, A, you're pregnant. Imagine that conversation. B, you're going to name him Jesus. Like the end of discussion, game over, his name will be Jesus, right? So it wasn't really like, oh man, are we, are we gonna name him Luke? Oh, does he look like a, like a Stephen? Um, no, like it, it was, when an angel shows up in the person and says, hey, this is what you're gonna do, right? Like, come on, I, I don't know about you. I'm not really, I'm not arguing that. I'm not gonna lobby for, you know, Ryan or something. Like it's Jesus, which got me thinking, I, I'm willing to bet we're all the same, right? Angel shows up in your bedroom and tells you something. I, I've got to believe we're gonna be like, yep, done. Like there's no, there's no question here, right? But yet when we read the word of God and God tells us to do something, we're kind of like, ah, I don't know. We're really quick at justifying our disobedience to the words of God that the angel Gabriel are obeying. Yet I think we would be like, oh man, if an angel told me something, I would do it. It just makes me wonder how, how low we, we view God's word and what he tells us to do. J- just food for thought. But this angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, you're going to name your son Jesus. And there's intentionality behind it because the word Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, Joshua, which means salvation. The name Jesus means salvation that a baby's going to be born and, and he's going to bring salvation with him. That's the purpose behind the name Jesus, is that he's going to bring salvation. And then we see further, Mark says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is not his, his last name. He didn't show up to school and the teacher called roll and was like, Christ, Jesus. And he's like, you know, here, um, Jesus, Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one. So a better way to even interpret this for us might be the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The word Christ was, was spoken of in Jewish context of this promised Messiah that would come and would set right what was wrong in Israel. For hundreds of years, Israel was waiting for this Christ, this Messiah that would come and would bring in a new day of life and healing and restoration. It was the promised anointed one. 
the Messiah, the Christ. And Mark is saying this gospel of Jesus is the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. We've been waiting for this one to come and this is him. You don't see the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the Christ. See the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And he goes on also and says, the son of God. Divinity in the flesh. This is Mark, he's writing this gospel message, this message of salvation, of good news, and it centers around Jesus, the Messiah, the divine son of God. So this is Mark's overview of his writing. I wanna tell you about the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the divine, God in the flesh, the son of God. Listen up, lean in, let this good news be good news to you. So if you're in this context and you're reading this, right, this isn't the first time someone was called the son of God, right? And there's people that make that claims all over the place. Why is this Jesus different, right? Why, why, why is Jesus actually the Christ? Right, so this is, this is what Mark is now going to just unload for us over the next several chapters is why this guy? Why Jesus? Why is he bringing good news rather than someone else? Why should I care about him today? Right? Why should my allegiance be to him? And he starts by quoting a 700-year-old prophecy. And so his first argument out of the gate, why you should listen to Jesus is that 700 years ago in the book of Isaiah, it was said that a messenger was coming before us and this messenger was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was going to make straight the path of the Lord. He was just going out in front, clearing people to the side and saying, hey, check it out. Look behind me, I'm opening the way for the headliner. Pay attention. This was prophesied 700 years ago in Isaiah and Mark saying, it's been fulfilled. Let me tell you about my guy, John. John the Baptist, JTB for short, because that's a lot in one name. Let me tell you about John. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country, Judea and Jerusalem, were going to him and being baptized. John served two primary roles in his ministry. The first one was this, was preaching a message of repentance, of turning and, and re returning to God. So the message that John is, is preaching, a baptism of repentance, the word repentance means to, to turn and go another way. So if I'm going this way, repentance is the cognitive and willful decision to turn and go the other way. So what just happened there, I repented, right? That's what the word repentance means. And John is preaching this message. He's saying, you are going your way, which is sin. Stop and turn and in faith, follow the way of God. That's the message that John is proclaiming here. Quit, quit going after your own way. That's what sin is. It's chasing our own ways. It's thinking our own thoughts. It's valuing our own ways over God. It's loving ourself more 
than him. And John is saying, repent, stop, stop, stop. Turn and return by faith to God, trusting that he will forgive your sins. And then when someone repented, John would would baptize them. So he's baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism didn't actually bring the forgiveness of sins. It was just the dirty river water. There's nothing miraculous about the water. Baptism was a symbolic picture of the repentance that happened in someone's heart. And so when a person would repent from going their own way and instead turn and trust the way of God, John would baptize them as a symbolic picture of the old is washed away and forgiven and someone rises from their water grave to walk in a new life. So baptism is just a picture of a repentant heart, of someone who has laid down their own ways and has picked up and trusted the way of God. And the Bible teaches that in faith, God sees that heart of repentance and forgives one's sins. And so that's the primary message of John. And so today it's, it's no different for us. Right? We too, like, like those in Mark chapter one, we have gone our own way. The Bible says all of us have gone astray and sought our own ways. We've picked up sin by choosing ourselves over God. And the message is still the same. We actually see it later from the, the mouth of Jesus, repent. Stop chasing yourself. Stop going your own Way. And hear me, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that once I, I repent and I turn away from my sin, that I'm never going to like, you know, reach back there and try to pick it back up again. That I'm never gonna, you know, kind of lean into it a little bit more, right? It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but what it means is that when I reach back there and pick up sin again, and the Bible and the Holy Spirit confronts me, I'm willing to say, no, no, I've repented of that and I return again to the Lord. If there's ever a moment where we say, man, I'm a Christian, but we're unwilling to let go of something that the Bible calls sin, the Bible says you are not a Christian because we're holding as highly as Jesus something that is in opposition to God. We cannot say, God, I hold you highly and I hold myself high at the same time. We can't. God says, I will not share my status with another. So again, repentance doesn't mean we're never gonna mess up again. It just means that when God convicts us, when someone brings that truth to us, we are willing to repent again, to lay it back down and say, man, no, no, I have died to that and return again yet to the Lord. So have you repented from going your own way and turned and trusted in the way of God, the way of Jesus? Have you had that moment when you've died to yourself and you've said, God, I, I cannot go my own way. I, I, I want to follow you. If you have, have you, have you then been baptized? Have you publicly demonstrated what happened in your heart? That, that your sinful ways are washed away by Jesus and that you've risen out of that old life and now you're living a new life. The same message that John is preaching, it's, 
It's for us as well. Repent. Turn from yourself. Proverbs 14. Really, the whole Bible speaks of there's one of two ways. And at every given moment, in this moment right now, we are living on one of two ways, one of two paths, either the way of self or the way of following after God. And Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The whole MO of the devil is to deceive us to thinking that our own way is good. He paints it up and he pretties it up and he's like, no, no, this is good. This is the temptation he gave to Adam and Eve. Like, hey, doesn't this fruit look good? Right, they, they took a bite of fruit. Like fruit's a healthy thing. We should be eating our fruit. So it's not like, oh, they ate fruit. Gosh, no, it's that the devil was like, hey, go your own way. God said this, but no, 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 come on. Doesn't this look good? That's the, that's the lie of the devil is to help us and to deceive us to think that our own way is good when in the end it leads to death. And John is telling people, wake up. Don't go after your own way. Trust in the way of God because the way of God is life. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's repentance. This is the message of John. Don't don't trust in what makes sense in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Turn away from evil. Why? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones because the way of God is life. Because Psalm 1611 says that God makes known to us the path of life. In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The, The urging of John is the same that it is today. Repent from your sinful ways and trust God. It is the way of life. Man, and some of those sinful ways have deep hooks in our life and it seems impossible. It doesn't even seem like it would be good. And that's where God calls us to faith and to trust him, that it is good. He is good. It is the way of life. So that's the first part of John's ministry. He's preaching that message, that way of life that is found by faith in God alone. But then the second thing that we see in Mark chapter one, the second part of John's ministry is to prepare the way for Jesus, is to fulfill this 700 year old prophecy that said someone is coming before Jesus that is purely meant to open the door and open the way so that the world can see Jesus. That's what John says in verse seven. He preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. We can look at the humility of John the Baptist here as something to emulate. We see in John chapter three, this this heartbeat of John is that that he would increase even to, that, that Jesus would increase even to his own decrease. Right, that's John's heartbeat. We can see the humility here, but but Mark is shining the spotlight on the supremacy of Jesus, the might of Jesus, how, how great Jesus is, because once you have proper view of how great Jesus is, humility naturally follows. Once you see how great he is, once you are truly in awe of his might, 
Humility naturally follows. The only place pride exists is when we have a low view of who God is. When we don't see how great he is, we don't see how remarkable Jesus is, pride will follow. It's natural then for us to think we're pretty impressive. We're just... But Mark is shining the spotlight on the the might and the supremacy of Jesus, the humility of John just naturally follows. He didn't have to choose humility. It's just, just what comes. John, remember, all of Judea and Jerusalem is going to him. He, he's the first mega church pastor from the New Testament on. Right? He's got entire counties and regions coming to him. Come on, don't act like that wouldn't be a temptation for a power trip. And come on, we all want to be approved of. We all want people to think we're, we're fantastic. He's got entire regions coming to him. And they're like, man, John, you're right. You're the way. You're, you're like, yeah, I'm following you. Like that would be a temptation. Josephus is a Jewish historian. He's not a Christian. He did not follow Jesus. He simply was a journalist of the day and wrote about historical events in this context. And he wrote more about John the Baptist than Jesus because of the influence and and the prestige that John the Baptist had developed. There was so much happening around him that the entire landscape of their culture was changing. He's a pretty big deal, this John. And then he says, but one is coming after me that I'm not even worthy of untying his sandal. The, there was a, a job in this context that that was part of the job description. When, when someone would come over, a guest would come over, you would take off their dirty shoes and wash their feet it was one of the lowest positions in that culture. That was, that was the job. John was in the position where he would show up and somebody would take his shoes off. Somebody would wash his feet, right? Like that was his status. He wasn't, he'd earned the reputation. He didn't have to take someone else's shoes off. But then when he compares himself to Jesus, he says, I'm not even worthy to serve him. He's so much above me. He is so more mightier than I am. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and to get my hands dirty from the dirt off of his feet. That's how incredible this Jesus is. That the headliner doesn't even seem himself worthy to be the opener. I don't even even begin to be on the same plane as him because of how mighty Jesus is and how great Jesus is. That's what Mark wants us to see here. You take the highest person in your society and when that person says, Jesus is so much greater than me, I don't even deserve to serve him. It tells you how great Jesus is. How remarkable Jesus is. And John says in verse eight, what makes Jesus so incredible? John says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John said, all all I'm doing is pointing you to the answer. This one coming, he is the answer. All I'm doing is, is dipping you underneath some water as a picture of your faith in God. 
as a picture of the forgiveness of sins. The one coming behind me, he is the one who will forgive your sins. That's a huge difference. John's like, I'm just, I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just talking about this one. I'm, I'm baptizing with water, but he is coming and he will bring the Holy Spirit of God to immerse and consume and surround you. John can't actually forgive anyone's sins. The, the faith was that God would forgive their sins. That was where their faith was. But, but how were their sins actually forgiven? It wasn't by being dipped in a river. It wasn't by good intentions. Gosh, we all know we've had good intentions and how quickly it is that we can turn back. How are their sins actually forgiven? It's that God himself, the divine himself, the son of God would come and do the work of forgiveness. If, if you and I commit a crime, and we have to go to court. And, and let's say in between the time we commit the crime and we go to court, like we have, our hearts have truly changed and we're sorry and we've demonstrated that we're different, right? And we show up to court. Can the judge say, ah, oh, you're good then. Like, way, way to go. I'm proud of you. Carry on. No, absolutely not. That, that guilt still has to be settled. The fine has to be paid. The, the, the time has to be served, right? The punishment has to happen in order for justice to truly come. And so John is like, hey, I, I'm urging you to repent in faith. I'm gonna baptize you by faith, but, but ultimately something greater actually has to happen for your sins to be forgiven. John is saying the one greater than me, the one coming behind me, he's the one that can actually do that. That by the death of Jesus, the penalty for our sin was settled on him, right? The, the fine that had to be paid for our guilt, that fine, that record of debt was nailed to the cross of Jesus, it says in Colossians 1. That's how the sins are actually forgiven. And then Jesus in his resurrection stands ready to give us his Holy Spirit that we forever be sealed by God, that we would have the literal Holy Spirit of the Holy God in us. That's what Jesus brings to the table. That's how he baptizes us is not just by water, but by sealing us with his Holy Spirit, by immersing us with his Holy Spirit, by filling us from head to toe with his Holy Spirit. That's how he comes and brings power. And that's far greater than what John could bring to the table. So John says, no, we got to look to him. Only he can bring real life change. Only Jesus. So Mark's purpose is to tell us of the good news of Jesus Christ. A message that should bring joy and a smile to your face. Literally every time we read this book, every sermon, every time we get it, we should see the gospel of Jesus in it. We should see the good news of Jesus and it should bring joy to our soul. That, that is why the Holy Spirit used the word gospel. He could use any word he wanted to. He used the word gospel because it should bring joy and delight to our soul. So why is this good news for us? 
Because again, you and I, like John, like the people that John's talking to, we've all sinned. We've all gone our own way. And Jesus, the mighty one, has come to save us. Why is this good news for us? Because we, just like John, we don't deserve to untie the sandal of Jesus. Put yourself up next to him. Compare yourself next to Jesus. I don't think anyone really is, is that bold to say like, oh yeah, I rival Jesus. Right? We, we know that we don't hold a light to Jesus. We are not worthy to bend down and to get the dirt off of his feet on our hands because the dirt on his feet is more remarkable than us. That's how incredible Jesus is. And yet it would be Jesus who would stoop down and untie the sandals off of our feet. We don't deserve to touch his dirty feet and yet he would stoop down and touch our dirty feet. He would wash away our sins. He would take the filth of our lives on himself. Jesus, he had the rightful place as the son of God. He had the prestige. He could do whatever he wanted to do and he willingly let go of his rights and his position so that he could come and serve us and not only serve us, but the Bible says, Charlie quoted it, Romans 5, serve us while we were actively sinning against him. He's washing our feet. We're just throwing more dirt on our feet. And yet he pursues us in love. It is remarkable and otherworldly. That Jesus, the mighty one, would stoop to be our servant. And what's incredible is he could have held it over us. He could shame us and guilt us. He could tell us, man, see what I had to do for you. See who you are. And instead, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he lifts us up. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that in Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that we are co-heirs with Jesus. What is Jesus's is ours by faith in him. This Jesus is incredible. The good news is that Jesus has come save us from our sins and to give us new life. And that should produce joy in us. It should move our hearts to repentance and to obedience. And if it doesn't, we've got to ask, why? Why does this not move me? Why does this not move me to love and to joy and to obedience? What am I holding on to so tightly that it doesn't naturally humble me? And again, not to shame or to guilt us, but because God wants freedom for us, that we would have life with him. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is how Mark starts it. He wants us to see how mighty Jesus is and to be humbled before him so that he could lift us up. Let's take a second and pray together. And I just wanna invite you, um, so much of hearing from God is just waiting, being still. It's, 
It's pushing out the, the thoughts and the distractions that are naturally coming into our minds. The to-do list, the message that we heard, the thing that we watched, whatever. It's, it's, it's to push that out and to say, God, I just want to hear from you. And, and I believe he wants to answer and speak to us. Expect him to speak because that's what he does. Expect to hear from him. What is God saying to you? Father, we want to hear from you. Keep speaking. For some of you, if you're here, if you're watching online, the, the message that God may be telling you today is to repent. To let go of yourself to let go of anything that is not of him he's telling you that is the way of life you've got to trust him If you've never trusted Jesus initially, if you've never had that moment where you've turned and, and received his life, his baptism of his Holy Spirit by faith, where he forgives your sins and he, he resurrects your spirit to new life, the invitation is to receive him today. It's, it happens in our heart where we, we relinquish control of ourselves and we trust him. We trust that his death forgives our sins and his resurrection brings us new life and he seals us with his Holy Spirit. I think for some of us, we, we heard the definition of gospel, a message of good news that should bring joy, delight, a smile to our face. And if we're honest, we think it doesn't really bring me much joy. 
I get that feeling. I understand where you are. And by faith, I believe that God is inviting us to receive the joy of the gospel again. God's not trying to teach you a religious system. God's not trying to teach you a set of rules to follow, do's and don'ts. God wants to know you, and that happens through the gospel of Jesus. we're listening. Continue to speak to us and to move us to respond in love and joy and surrender to your word. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.